This is DevOps in Agile Way Podcast. Hello everyone again. So today we continue our discussion with our great guest, Sam Williams. Last week we discussed a few topics already, this time we will continue this discussion, we will touch certifications, we will touch serverless, so I'm looking forward to this discussion and um, what Sam has to say to us. So I hope you too. And what to say more here. Enjoy! 17 days from the idea to the first income. It doesn't matter what this income was at this point. The speed. Think about this like 10, 20 years ago. In 17 day- days, you just can have like a order sent for the server which you buy, right? So this is the power of serverless here. And we have the life proof that it works in that way. Thank you very much for sharing this with us because... Uh, yeah, and I think you were maybe not first, right? But uh, one of the first with this uh, this specific approach to OpenAI and and uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, so I think I didn't know of anyone else that was using OpenAI. I know that there was one other product when I launched that was doing LinkedIn comment generation, but they were mm-hmm. using their own custom bespoke AI solution, which was having tested it was a. Uh, a little bit lackluster compared to or mm. trying to beat chat gpt or chat or gpt4 like you're not gonna you're not gonna like train your own ai to be better than that so yeah, yeah i think i was <laughs> oh yeah i think i was probably i was the first one that i knew of there probably mm. was someone else somewhere that had done something similar but i was yeah one of the first definitely to yeah. to apply uh, open AI to LinkedIn. This shows also another aspect, right? So first, the good idea, it doesn't mean that you have to be first with this idea, but also how quickly you will turn this idea into something real. This is what you've done here. And this leads me back a little bit to the uh, complete coding and helping CTOs, right? Because uh, I believe that I see this is something on different level, right? Because uh, you have your video where you solve some specific technical problem. You show how to solve it, and then the company try to implement it. But probably, I think, uh, this is my imagination now, they are able to solve the problem, technical problem, but they cannot really apply this on the level of the process of the organization, right? This is probably the place where your help is a little bit different than just technicalities i think yeah definitely so that's pro- the first thing that i normally end up doing whenever i jo- uh, whenever i start working with a, a new startup is looking at not okay let's look at your architecture let's look at all your lambdas let's look at some code or like let's look at your dynamo db schema it's none of that it's okay let's look at okay your aws organizations how are people accessing it how are you controlling who accesses what and then okay now let's look at your deployments like how do you deploy these kind of things how are they interacting how are you testing new features without breaking your production environment like looking at that and i think the challenge with well 
I think this is probably an, a, a challenge that everyone will face is, and every technology stack will face is there isn't just here is the perfect solution. And Amazon have shown this, like they said, oh yeah, serverless is serverless is the best thing ever. And then obviously it's grown. Amazon videos has grown and they're like, oh no, we've got rid of serverless. We're going back to, to yeah. containers. And serverless is dead. Microservices are dead. And exactly. AWS is Monolith, dead, right? <laughs> Monoliths for the win. Um, but that's because requirements change depending on the size of your business, the number of employees. So it's really hard to say, here's the here's the exact Git method, methodology you should use. Here's the exact testing framework you should be using. Here's the exact deployment mechanisms you should be using because... For me, when I was building this SaaS product, I had two environments. I deployed manually from my laptop. I didn't have any CI CD because it was just me. Adding CI CD just adds a little bit of extra overhead, which for the initial 17 days or for the initial two months when it's just me, it doesn't matter. You don't need that. But if I'd got to the point where I started hiring two or three developers, I would have had to implement a different set of processes and trying to, I think a lot of people just expect you to come in and go, here's my template and this is this is what you need to do, step-by-step guide. And whilst I do have, well, I have a lot of templates, not all of them are apl- applicable to every different business. And that those templates are for building another template, right? <laughs> What you said this uh, about the the processes itself, etc., is very important. And Amazon Prime, this is, you know, I had the argument that they not only prove that serverless is wrong, but they've done bad architecture, that they've done bad business decisions, right? What is completely not true. In fact, they proved that the approach to the business was right. Only the circumstances changed, so they needed to change the approach. And with this one service, which is kind of supplementary service for the system, right? because this was uh, for the uh, one of the monitoring elements, it's not the end of the world of the serverless, right? So, no, the haters gonna hate, but they will not win this fight. Yeah, <laughs> really. it's the same. It's the same with Basecamp. With Basecamp moving away from AWS completely onto their mm. own on-prem software, it's like. There's a lot of, oh, AWS is dead now that Basecamp is leaving. But if you actually read through, they say running and running in AWS was the only thing that allowed them to get to where they are. If they tried to run on-prem from day one, they would have died. And exactly. it's the same with serverless. It's like there is going to be a, a certain point, a certain scale where actually it's more efficient to be in containers than it is to be in serverless. There's going to be a point where it's more efficient to be uh, on-prem than it is in AWS. But like, I think I did, I worked out the calc, like a rough estimate of like, unless your bit, your AWS bill is more than fifty thousand dollars a month, you shouldn't even think about moving away from serverless mm. because your yeah. everything else is going to start is like the cost savings you can make moving away from serverless. Yeah, you may save 15 grand a month, but you're also going to increase your costs by 18 grand a month. It's like exactly, that exactly. doesn't make sense. 
and exactly yeah. and on, on, only the thing is that uh, you need to build a solution in the proper way for for the specific architecture right mm-hmm. in the first episode of this podcast i i mentioned like an example of a very bad design where we have for example 10 millions of execution of lambda function and each execution takes 14 minutes uh, and 30 seconds for one gig of ram it it is a crazy amount of money but the question is if you have something what is run for 14 minutes 30 seconds in lambda are you sure that you are doing the right thing? Look at your code, look at your approach, of course, infrastructure as well, and think what you should improve or change because definitely you will do something wrong. Right, and, uh, you know, we discussed the different elements of trainings, of um, approach to the learning curve in the cloud environments and uh, also how to help CTOs. So this leads us finally to this topic about the certification and certificates themselves. And <laughs> let me let, let me ask you with in crazy way because uh, kind of comments like this uh, I saw in your profile and also on mine. Why you hate certificates so much? <laughs> so I think certificates are actually very good. I think that at the right time in your career, having the, the an appropriate AWS certification can, it won't change your life. It won't guarantee uh, you're going to double your salary, but it might, it'll help you get into an extra interview out of five interviews. You might get six instead. I think at the right time, it's good. What I don't think, what I think people mistake that for is I need the certification to get into that career. So people think to get into, to become a solution architect, you need to have the solution architect pro cert. People think that to become a developer using AWS, you need to have the developer associate cert. And this kind of approach of like, I need the certificate, that leads people to focusing on learning the facts you need to pass an exam instead of learning the skills you need to actually become a valuable member of a team. And that's kind of, that's my big, my bigger dislike for, not necessarily for certs, but for the way that. Approach to them. Approach to it, to certs. And especially like there are certain people from AWS who have kind of preached this, oh, AWS certs are the guarantee, are the way that you progress your career. And the fact that AWS has named them after job roles in AWS probably exacerbates this. Um, but yeah, I think certs can be certs are great as a way mm-hmm. to validate the experience you already have. I think even AWS, if you look at their AWS certificate page, if you look at a developer role, it's a developer cert. It says this should be taken after working with AWS for at least one year. Yeah. And I completely agree. That is a perfect time. If you've been working with AWS for a year, you're probably like maybe junior or mid, like trying to get your first mid-level developer role. Like at that point saying, okay, I'm going to do my cert. It will help fill in some of the, some of the areas of knowledge that you might not have got through that year of experience, which will help broaden your experience and knowledge. But then when you do go to an interview, and I think this is one thing that a lot of people don't think about is like, as an interviewer, as an employer, trying to hire someone new, I'm just trying to work out 
how likely is it that you're going to be a really good developer and how likely is it that you're going to be a really bad developer? Yeah. There are different things that can kind of hint or suggest that you're going to be good. So like having a degree in computer science, that suggests that you have an understanding of computer science. But you can definitely be a really bad developer with a CS degree. In the yeah. same way, having a cert, it suggests that you are a good developer. It suggests that you understand and you know AWS, but it doesn't guarantee it. And I think a lot of a lot of employers are realizing that you can go onto onto Udemy and you can buy a course on sale for nine ninety nine. You can watch those four hours of someone reading through some slides. You can write down a load of facts, and especially definitely for the associate and even for some of the uh, like professional and specialists. Mm -hmm you can pass one of these certs without ever having touched AWS. Oh, and that is true. That just means that companies are realizing that someone that comes in and can't really answer the normal development questions you would expect, but has a cert, actually that person is probably has probably gone down what like let's call it the like it's not quite a cheat sheet route, but it's like They've gone down a route, which means that that, that combination of no ex lacking or any practical skills or experience, but having a cert, those kind of people tend to be the ones that are compensating for not being a very good developer. That's true. And I've done a lot of interviews in my life, especially in my last four or five years. I developed a way to test it even before it became like kind of issue on the market. I need like two max free questions. And I know exactly what you said, that the person just did that, you know, all the trainings, materials, some some dumps, maybe even, but never really touched the, the console. Because the second question, I will not share it because uh, it's my, you know, secret. Secret source. <laughs> and uh, yes, and uh, I, I want to use it. <laughs> so the uh, no, I'm kidding. So th those questions were about the uh, load balancers. And the question uh, about the differences between different load balancers, it's easy because every single training for the certification will explain the differences between this, uh, the, those load balancers. But when you ask about, all right, so I have this load balancer and I want to uh, proxy traffic. How can I do it? What are the you know possibilities, options, etc., etc., etc.? Very often, it is enough to just log there once to see them. The, the most iconic interview I had, uh, the, was, there was a guy who answered the question about low balances, like big smile. Then I asked the second question. I was uh, okay, I don't know. And it was <laughs> so funny. It was so hard to not laugh. So certificates, yes, as a kind of proof or a milestone for you to see where you are, where to go. That's perfectly fine. Also, what we need to mention that all this kind of certification processes like AWS, etc., etc., which is completely different from example, for example, from Kubernetes or Red Hat, at least long time ago, where you had really hands-on exam. And this may say already something, right? That 
you have the skill to pass the, the certificate. Uh, you have the technical skill to pass the certificate because, for example, for Red Hat certified technician, like to 10 years ago, the first task was to kind of break in into networking machine, right? You don't have a root password and you just need to start it. So how to do it? All of those certifications like AWS is doing right now, they are more theoretical. You have number of questions, you need to select the proper answer. So with proper luck, I don't have it anyway, with proper luck, you can just go to the room and just hit 100% right? yeah. without knowing anything. This is quite interesting. But there is another aspect. And uh, we both were victim of that. Right? And uh, there are, the, I don't know, companies or people who, who will even <laughs> pass the certificates for you. Yes. Right, so you will receive the beautiful page with beautiful badge that you pass the certificate, even don't think what what it is at all. <laughs> what you pass? So, how do you think should vendors how how we as a some community can I don't know counteract something like that? It's extremely tough, I think. Yeah, I think the one well one kind of on a side topic to this, like. A lot of people have said, oh, you don't like the AWS exams because they're just questions and it's multi-choice. And they're like, oh, how would you do it better? And I think the problem is it's very hard because the requirements AWS have for exams are it needs to be absolutely fair. So they need, every answer needs to have, or every question needs to have an exactly correct answer. Yeah. So having a discussion like we're having, so if the question was like, how would you architect this feature? Like, and then you write out your answer. That means that a human has to read the answer and great and give it a score. If I was, if I was one of those assessors, I now, if I'm having a bad day, if I've woken up on the wrong side of the bed, I'm like, oh, that's only a five. Whereas if I've had a really good day, if I'm feeling really not like really happy or I can go, oh, actually, yeah, that exact same answer, I'll give it a seven. Cause I, th I think that's a good, I they've written it well. And that becomes subjective. And as soon as that yeah. comes in, it's hard for AWS to justify a lot of things. And also paying those experienced developers to sit there and read answers from exams is going to be expensive. Oh, yes. So kind of having that scalability and the like for, I don't know how many millions of certificates are taken a year, but there's probably a scary number and I'd love to know. But like, yeah. I don't know how I would do it better with the requirements AWS have. Um, on Back onto that question around, like, how do we handle the people that just pay someone else to take the certificate for them? I think it's almost a self-handling issue because, as you, as you said, if someone comes to interview and they have a certificate and they can't answer that second, they, they might, in your, in your case, they'll struggle with the first question and then they'll struggle yeah. more with the second question because they don't even have that theoretical knowledge. So I think that it'll just, it means that there might be slightly more people in that Reddit thread complaining, saying, I'm AWS certified and I can't get a job, or <laughs> I'm AWS certified and I can't become a solution architect. Um, I think there's going to be, like, it's going to increase the number of those because someone's paid. Like I think you pay like two and a half times how much the cert the certificate costs on top. Yeah. Just 
to get the badge. If you don't have the skills, if you don't have the the knowledge, then you're still not going to get the job because any decent interviewer is going to understand that yeah, you don't have the skills. It's the same as you're, all you're doing when you pay for one of those is you're paying to not have to sit there and memorize a load of facts. You can memorize a load of facts or you can pay someone to take the exam. Either way, you end up without the skills and with a badge. Yeah, and the badge is something what you can just draw in any paint program um right so that, that that's true and the the most annoying part here is that you your talent acquisition probably lost some time to to find out that this person is well i say that cheater right yeah so so that's uh, that's true and for the final topic for our great discussion because this time is kind of relative and when you have someone cool to talk with the time is passing very very quickly i would like to uh, refer to what you mentioned somewhere on the beginning serverless as a tool set right because very often we treat serverless um, in very simplistic way so it is lambda function i'm talking about aws right now right yeah. it's lambda function or an um, uh, uh, api maybe Right. And and that's it. But in fact, there is the whole ecosystem behind that. Yeah. How we can build this understanding, and also how we can convince, like you, like you said, for example, CTOs, right, to use the full blown power of serverless with everything in front of Lambda function, in backend of Lambda function, and sometimes even without Lambda function, right? Yeah, definitely. Um... I think this is definitely a, it's something I've thought quite a lot about, like how do you show, how do you demonstrate the value? And I think it comes down to, especially for a CTO or for a founder, it comes down to like, here is, here's an application that, or here are multiple applications that have been developed in a third of the time that it would have been with another mechanism. Here are 20 different applications that are running for like a dollar a month or a couple of dollars a month that even with the smallest, like even with the smallest EC2, you've got to add in redundancy and all of that would be costing you 20 times as much. And like, here are like the examples of companies that are running with 10, like five developers or 10 developers and running what looks like from the outside, like a massive, a mm. massive technical solution. And whilst it might be a very technical solution, because most of the architect or most of the infrastructure is managed, you can have a much smaller team. And I, I've uh, one of the startups I worked with as a developer right at the start. We grew from I think a team of like ten people in total. And when I left, there was like ninety-five people. And one of the most difficult parts about that was not the how do we make our architecture more scalable? That was relatively simple. We were using serverless. It was how do we make our teams more scalable? Mm. Because hiring more people, finding good talent, and then trying to work out, okay, now instead of having just, you've got like the product owner and there's four or five developers underneath with the, working with them, you've now got 30 developers. That they can't have that one-to-one -one time with the product owner. You need multiple product owners now, multiple project managers. And like the the 
organization from a, like a human perspective, like the human resources and the interactions and do you go into a hierarchical structure or do you try and keep it flat this that becomes a much bigger pain point and that was something that i saw especially upper management spent a lot more of their time discussing and trying to figure out and banging their head against a wall about that than about okay that's the architecture we're going with or or how do we do decrease our aws bill because Mm -hmm. that's something that so many people don't think about when adopting a traditional architecture and that can cripple companies when it when when things go wrong and the way to i think the way to convince people is just show here are all the benefits yes and be very open about the fact there are some drawbacks when you start having a hundred million users or yeah when you've got a hundred million users Cognito is extortionately expensive. Yes. <laughs> but you've not got 100 million users. You've got 13 users. Or you've got, even like with my own app, like I've got like 500 users now or something like that. Like, I think I'm I'm like 1% of the way into free tier. Yeah. And I know that like I could scale so much more. And even if it does get into the paid tier, it's like, it's not going to be a significant cost. And I think a lot of people tend to try and work out, oh, how much would it cost when we are a massive company? Mm. And as we talked about right at the start, like there's a scale where things become inefficient. If uh, no, Basecamp, if Basecamp had started on using on-prem software, they would never have grown to the company they are. Like yeah. don't be don't be scared about adopting serverless because you think in three years time it might get expensive because the startup i worked at i think we completely re-engineered and re-architected the whole platform about four times in three years mm. so when you get to three years that next re-architecture step is just re-architecting it from serverless to containers if you're at the scale yeah. where it makes sense and you know very very often i heard that this is the cost right first of all the cost of the re-architecting and second, uh, cost of the architecture and the whole efforts put into this before. But again, this is a very wrong perception, in my opinion, right? Because what you've done, it means you are already on the market and you have money to do this re-architecture, right? In, in case of your application. So now, as you said, uh, you are in somewhere in the beginning of the free tier but let's suppose you grow very quickly from today because this podcast is so popular no it's not uh, but anyway you grow very quickly but you can observe this trend and you can act on it earlier because you understand what's going on in something what is already life yeah. this is what you had thanks to approach you choose on the beginning so this is only win-win for you there is nothing what you lose on it right definitely this is very important and, and I, I have to disagree with you with this that scaling of the you know the uh, technological scaling is is easy looking on the black friday and and so many issues with with internet shops it's not that easy at least yeah yeah black friday is always a bit of chaos isn't it yeah but 
But you know, this is something quite interesting because uh, sometimes I think that we live in some kind of bubble, right? Because we are really enthusiast. We dig deep into the new approaches, dig deep in the proper processes, dig deep into uh, all those aspects which allow us to create, to build things in the best possible way, right? with all aspects around, but best possible way. And very often, this is something what is lacking somehow on the market. Uh, I think now, as we already talked a lot of the time, and I took already a lot of your time, I think with uh, with this, that the best ending of this uh, discussion is to encourage all of our people who were listening to these episodes to check Sam Williams' trainings. and learn, learn, learn a lot from it and just adapt it to their own daily basis work. So, Sam, thank you very much for joining me today. It was no, really a pleasure. pleasure to talk with you and, uh, yeah, finally we saw each other. Face-to-face, <laughs> yeah. Yes, so it was really great experience and thank you very much for helping me with this podcast and I really enjoyed this case, discussing uh, all those topics with you. Yeah, me too. I had a great time and, yeah, time, as you said, is flies by when you're when you're enjoying it so yeah it's uh, didn't realize it was that that long into the recording but yeah thank you very much yeah thank you very much and take care everybody thank you for listening to this episode of devops in agile way podcast with your host abayu pivosh subscribe comment and do not forget to check our next episodes stay tuned stay safe stay curious <laughs>